Thank you, Brian. Um, I'm very humbled by all the kind things you had to say. I can't think of anything to add <laughs> to what you said. <laughs> uh, I also I, I want to thank Henry, too, um, thinking that the primary reason that we're here tonight, I presume, and I've always presumed this when I come to the alumni dinners, is that we're, we come here for friendship, primarily to see each other and uh, enjoy our company together and the great times we had while we were students at Thomas Aquinas College, and only secondarily to hear some a talk. <laughs> so <coughs> I thank, thank all of you for coming here, and I, um, I'm really honored. I feel like um, I've gotten a lot of mileage out of being the first one to complete the whole program. I was honored at the President's Center a year ago, and then I, there was an article in the, uh, the newsletter uh, about um, my completing the program. So um, I don't know what to say. Um, um, people have asked me how it is that I ended up being the first one to complete the whole program. And um, I guess we particularly wonder about um, uh, the founders. Um, and, you know, when I think about it, um, the first thing that comes to mind is that they were extremely busy. Um, um, they had administrative duties, and they also were the ones that taught the parts of the program that, that everything was ordered to, the philosophy and theology part of the program. And they taught those parts of the program for years before the rest of us were in a position to be able to teach them ourselves. Um, so um, it's not surprising they didn't get around to teaching the whole program. I think Mr. Berkowitz was probably the one that was the closest, uh, and I think he came very close to completing the whole program. Um, but it seems reasonable that maybe an alumnus of the college would be the first one to get through because we've been through the whole program ourselves. Um, all of us accomplished in four years what it took me 30 years to do as a tutor. So um, in a way, that's not too surprising. And given the fact that I'm from the first uh, class, I would have been uh, somewhat ashamed if I hadn't been the first one to get through this program. Um, but it's true, I never felt like it was a race. Um, and it's true, Glenn Clogg and I talked about you know, some competition here. And it was per particularly when he was dean um, because he had the authority to assign the classes. <laughs> um, so he might teach two new classes in a year and not give me a new one. I mean, that was, that was a possibility anyway. But, uh, he was very generous. Uh, but it does take a long time to get through this program. When you think about it, I mean, it took me 30 years. Um, so students that I had in the first few years of the college had their own children go through this program before I finished teaching the whole program. Um, and I think I remember talking to Peter DeLuca about this one time. You know, the way we, um, our course load is that we have, normally we have three courses, and in one of those courses we teach two sections. Um, so there are 23 courses in the whole program. So the first year you'd get three, and then at best you'd get one new one every year. So it would take 21 years um, to get through this whole program if you could keep that pace. Um, I think there are some people here that might finish faster than I did. I know there's quite a few people here that are very close. I think David Quackenbush is very close. I, I know Glenn is, so there's a number here. Um, I think it will really be good for the college um, to have a number of tutors that have, have done the whole program as tutors. Um, we're always working on the program and we're always trying to fine tune it and 
integrate it more carefully. And uh, the more of us that have done the whole program, I think the better discussions we can have about those things. And what, you know, Brian, the quotes of Brian uh, mentioned from the Blue Book, um, it does seem reasonable that if we have an integrated program um, that we should know what the students know when they graduate. And we should know as they're going through the program what they've learned up to that point and where they're going um, in order to help them in their progress. Um, so I know the students are all, I mean the tutors, excuse me, are all working hard to get through the program. It won't be long before there'll be a number that have done this. I feel honored to be the first one. Um, now I wish I could tell you that um, teaching here has been the fulfillment of a, a lifetime dream to teach at a place like this. Um, but it's not true. <laughs> um, obviously, I didn't know about this place until about you know, six or eight months before it opened. Uh, the first person to tell me about the college, in fact, was Cheryl Smith, uh, Cheryl Doctor now, who is herself a graduate. She had a daughter graduate from the college, and she's had three grandchildren graduate from the college. I can remember she came up to me one day. She was a good friend of my mother's. Um, it was right after church. She came up to me just all excited about this new college that was starting. And it's, you can have, you know, study four years of philosophy and four years of theology and math and science. And I just said, why would I do that? <laughs> um, and then on top of that, my experience in school <laughs> up to that point had not been very um, enjoyable. Um, I don't know how much to go into this, but first grade was my favorite class <laughs> for my, <laughs> my favorite year. Uh, second grade, I had a uh, sister, um, Sister Rosalie. She was a, a sister of mercy. Um, she didn't have any mercy on me. <laughs> um, I wasn't ready for the discipline and rigor that she was expecting uh, in, out of second graders. Um, by the end of the year, when I came to class, she just tied me to my chair ev every day. Um, I didn't like that very much. <laughs> uh, on one day, my mom sent me off to school, and I didn't get there. And uh, my parents finally discovered that I was not at school, and they found me. And I remember my dad was just shocked that this second-grade kid didn't go to school, you know, and he said, you played hooky. And I said, what's that? It's what you did. Oh, <laughs> playing hooky. And I thought, you know, my dad was kind of, he was shocked, and he thought, man, this kid's ahead of his time. And he wasn't expecting that till high school or something <laughs> like that. But in my, my senior year in high school, I kind of came full circle. I had a physics teacher who I really liked. I had a lot of respect for. He was a Stanford graduate. Um, but he liked talking about things besides physics. And he knew I was a practicing Catholic and he used to just kind of pick on me for the sake of conversation in, in the class. And I remember one time he said, you know, Kaiser, marriage is a good thing. We'll come up with something better. And I, you know, I thought, am I supposed to respond to this? <laughs> you know, um, I don't think so. <laughs> but I remember uh, one time he was, uh, talking about how we could explain by naturalistic means uh, the exodus of the Israelites from uh, Egypt. And he said um, it could be explained by the fact that there was a volcano and uh, tidal wave in the Mediterranean and that when the Israelites were on the, the edge of the Red Sea, the 
before the tidal wave got, got there, the, wave the water would have receded, and then the wave would have came back over after they crossed. And I was thinking, boy, they'd have to cross pretty fast. And he said, then all the ash and everything would have caused all the plagues. And I, I said, well, but according to scripture, the plagues came first and they crossed afterwards. And in fact, it wouldn't make any sense to have plagues after they'd already left Egypt. And he said, well, that's the kind of thing that they can get wrong, you know. And um, <laughs> there were a number of occasions like that where he, he would pick me out. We'd start having a conversation like, and students started taking my side in the, in the arguments in class. And so he... Uh, there was a door up by the blackboard in the front of the room that was the uh, entrance to a storage room. And he just opened the door and pointed to the storage room. <laughs> and he put me in the storage room and there was a desk in there with a chair. And he just put me in there, turned the light off and shut the door. And that was where I, I the rest of my senior year, it was toward the end of my senior year. Every day when I came to class, he put me in that room and shut the light off and close the door. <laughs> so I did not have a very good sense of school. I really didn't enjoy it very much. <coughs> so you might wonder how I ended up coming to the, the college in the first place. And what really did it for me was um, some friends of our family, uh, Ed and Marion Sampson, invited Dr. Neumeyer and Father Marchowski to come up and give a talk to interested parents and students um, a few, you know, about, it was in the middle of uh, the spring, sometime before this, the year before the school opened. And I heard this talk by Dr. Neumeyer about what Catholic education ought to be, what the status of Catholic education was at the time, and what the good of Catholic education was. And I was so impressed by it, and so were many others that were there, that I decided I, I want to I learn from this man, I want to... Um, try this program. And I think he ended up getting six of us from that one meeting to come and enroll in the college. Um, so I've, I've never regretted that. Um, now, I, I guess I was the one of the points I'm trying to make is um, I never thought about being a teacher. Um, if somebody had told me when I was in high school or junior high school that I would end up spending my life teaching, um, I would have been very unhappy. Um, so here's the story about how I made the decision that I wanted to come back to school. Um, not long before we graduated, I was walking along the beautiful uh, tree-covered entryway into the college with Paula, and we're walking along the pond there as you go on, this old, on the old campus, and I was telling Paula, you know, this has been the, the best four years of my life. We've read the greatest works of all time. We've thought about the highest things. We have a tremendous friendship with our, our fellow students and with the faculty. I just can't imagine life is going to be any better than this. It's going to be downhill from here. What am I going to do? And Paula said, well, why don't you come back and teach? And I had never thought about it before she mentioned that. Um, so I thank her for that. <laughs> And, you know, part of the problem is just not, I, you know, I hadn't thought about it, um, and I didn't think I was worthy of it, to tell you the truth. I, I had so much admiration for the founders and for the other faculty members. I didn't, couldn't see myself as being part of that. Uh, but I went and talked to Mr. Berquist. He was my thesis advisor and somebody that I had talked to about many things and asked him what he thought. And he said, yeah, I think that's a good idea. Um, so I went and talked to Dr. MacArthur also. 
And he said, yeah, just go away for a few years and then come back. Um, and he said, I'm all for it. You know, so I said, well, how about if I study something? Um, uh, maybe some biology. And he goes, yeah, that'd be good. There's nobody on the faculty that has any expertise in biology, so that, that'd be great. You know? um, so that's what I did. And <coughs> I feel like uh, when I see the, what the rigors of what the tutors have to go through now who apply the prospective tutors that they have to do to um, <laughs> come back to teach at this program, I don't think I would have ever made it if I'd had to go through the process they have to go through now. Um, they have to write an essay on the blue book. They have to come and give a seminar with students. They give a lecture to the faculty. They have an interview with the instruction committee. It's a very rigorous process. Uh, what I did was wrote a, I wrote a letter to Tom Dillon, who was newly dean at the time, and just told him, I'm ready. Um, <laughs> I, think I, I think I had my transcript sent, and that was it, you know? And, um, um, Tom Dillon called me and said, um, well, you're next in line. Next time we have an opening, uh, we'll take you. And um, he called me in August and said, we might have an opening in September. Would you be able to come? This was August, uh, uh, excuse me, um, June of 1982. And uh, he called me in August, about a month before school started, and, sa and said, uh, we have an opening. And I said, I'll do it. So I was really excited about that. Um, since it happened in the summertime, most of the other faculty didn't know about it. And um, shortly after um, Tom told me I was hired, um, Susie and Mikael Wallstein had their wedding in Santa Barbara. So Paul and I went to that. So I met a number of the faculty members there and announced to them that I had been hired. And uh, one of the things that really st stuck out on my mind it was I told Father McGovern. And Father McGovern smiled and he shook my hand and said, Welcome aboard the sinking ship. <laughs> <laughs> Father, Father McGovern was very pessimistic about the economic uh, status of the school. And, um, so I, I, really, I, it, I was kind of worried about that a little bit. You know. <coughs> um, and um, One of the things, uh, the, the, yeah, so the economic situation was something he really worried about. And I remember, I, I, I should say another thing that made me concerned about, um, or not think about being a teacher, I should mention this, is that my father, I remember as growing up, um, my father, uh, I guess it must have come at times when they were raising property taxes or something. But I remember him saying, uh, teachers are overpaid underworked, they have too much, <laughs> they have too much vacation time, and it's not really work. What they do is not really work, you know. And I, you know, I was kind of willing to believe that um, at, the, at the time, and I would have added, they do a lot of damage, too. Um, I think about my high school career. Um, but I, I just wanted to assure you that here at the college, being overpaid is not a problem. Um, <laughs> I want to assure you that um, we spend your donations very frugally, very thrifty uh, with your contributions to the school. And wh when I first started teaching at the school, I used to have what's called a cash flow problem. Um, every summer, um, uh, I had, I guess we'd call it a problem because I had cash flowing out but no cash flowing in for, for two months during the summertime. Um, so we had to do something during the summer to make ends meet, and I guess you'd call it work, real work. And Mike McLean and I, um, some of you know this, Mike McLean and I used to do roofing and painting. 
And we would um, drive around and find neighborhoods or tract homes where um, the roofs looked like they're in pretty bad shape. Some of them had been replaced and other ones hadn't. We'd, put, we'd walk down the streets and put leaflets on all the doorsteps. And we put uh, advertisements in the paper. We ended up uh, doing roofs uh, all over Ventura County. Um, we in Oxnard, Ventura, Ojai. Um, in fact, there's one in Ojai. Um, every once in a while, I end up driving by. It's one of the nice things about doing something like this. You can look at it, and it's there for years. So if, if you're driving down Rice Road um, <laughs> um, on the west end of Ojai, 1039 Rice Road. Um, we did that house about almost 30 years ago, and it looks, still looks pretty good. And it was, it was an interesting uh, case because um, the, the man who hired us had just redone the house. He just had it re-roofed uh, shortly before he asked us to redo it. And he just didn't like the looks of it. He didn't like the color. Of the, and he had put a, a layer over the old shingles. He had somebody do that, and he, they weren't laying flat. So he wanted his roof torn off and completely redone. And I remember Mike and I went and interviewed for this job. And he said, are you guys licensed? And we go, no. Are you bonded? No. Uh, do you have an insurance? And we looked at each other and said, oh, uh, yeah, well, yeah, we've got insurance. Um, <laughs> you know, <coughs> through the college, we've got insurance. And, you know, he found out that we were academics. And I think he kind of liked the idea of putting a couple of academics to work. <laughs> you know, so. So. You know, so we tore off old, all the old shingles, every nail, cleared everything off. And at one point, we were getting ready to start rolling out the underlayment. And I had pulled off this big dormer uh, attic vent. It was about three feet by three feet. And I laid the underlayment over the top of that and it completely covered up the hole. And I thought, wait a minute, I better tell Mike about this because you know, he's going to walk right through this if I don't let him know. So I called Mike over from, he was on another part of the roof, and I said, Mike, come over here. I, I just uh, laid this uh, overlay underlayment over this hole right here, and it's, it's right here. And he was standing on the upper edge of it, and I was on the lower edge. And he said, he came walking over, and he said, where is it? <laughs> um, I said, it's, it's right here. And so he stood on one foot and kind of reached out with the other foot and was trying to feel where the the cavity was and the next thing I know he just went right through it <laughs> and I thought oh no and his chin caught the, the lower edge of, of the roof and um, broke his fall <laughs> and I'm trying to you know, I, I'm trying to remember and you know imagine uh, the image of how that was I can't remember where his arms were whether they were above the roof or under the roof. All I can remember is his head, you know, right at the lower edge, you know. So I, so I helped Mike McLean out, and he's, he's bleeding pretty profusely under the chin, you know. So I, I pull out my handkerchief and, and give him the handkerchief and make sure he's okay. And then I look down in the attic space and I said, whew, his foot feet didn't go through the roof. Thank heavens. I said, it's going to be a lot easier for me to take him to the emergency ward and fix, to fix a hole in, the, in this guy's ceiling. <laughs> and I remember uh, asking Mike, you know, what happened? And he said, you know, he said he didn't really know, but, you know, after that he dubbed our little company Vertigo Roofing Company. <laughs> well, it, it wasn't too long after that that um, Tom Dillon 
really made a push to do something about um, faculty salaries. And one of the ideas he came up with was to have a summer tutorial for the tutors. Um, so we would spend five to six weeks after school got out um, studying together. And um, we would get paid extra for doing that. And we got a salary raise on top of that. So it um, kept us off the streets during the summertime. It was great. <laughs> But the other thing that was really great about it was it gave us an opportunity, the, the younger tutors, to learn from the, the senior tutors. And it was a terrific experience. And it seems to me it was that move that Tom really pushed that made it possible for us to learn the parts of the program and to benefit from the expertise of, of, the, of the founders so that we would be able to teach um, the various parts of the program. Um, so without that, it just I don't think it would it'd be very difficult for it to happen. Um, so I'm very thankful to Tom for the, his push to do that. Um, and one of the things that it uh, seems to me that one of the benefits of doing that is it gives the, uh, the tutors an opportunity to work together as a community on, on their own intellectual development. And um, it's been a tremendous benefit for all of us, it seems to me, to work together and for the unity of the faculty. Um, I, um, Mark um, asked me if I would say something about what I thought was the most difficult uh, course I've taught. Um, in some way, the philosophy and theology uh, parts of the program are the most difficult. Um, but I would have to say that, you know, as you time goes on, um, certain parts of the program might become more difficult just because you're getting older. Um, the last thing I did was the senior mathematics. Um, and th it, was, it was kind of a challenge. Um, I've done this the last two years. Um, uh, when I find, I told Brian I want to do this before I get any older, because I don't know if I'm going to be able to do it if I wait any longer. Um, so I, I finally got the assignment. It, it, it was um, the year before last. Um, and Richard Ferrier was the other tutor assigned to the senior math. So there were four sections. Each of us got two sections. So there's only going to be two tutors. And I thought, great, Richard's doing this. and. Um, Richard will be my mentor. He'll help me through this. So about two weeks before class started, Richard sent me an email and said, what do you plan to do for the first three or four weeks <laughs> of, of the semester? <laughs> and I sent an email back to him and said, Richard, I was going to ask you that question. You know? um, and he said, well, I haven't done this for 28 years. <laughs> and the senior math is one of the parts of the program where it's the, the curriculum isn't perfectly set and different tutors have different ways of doing it. Um, so I talked to Glenn Coughlin, uh, Steve Kane, um, Sean Collins, um, Carol Day, Ron Richard, um, anybody that had taught that course to get some ideas about what to do. And I, one thing I'd say is they were all very helpful and it's one of the things I enjoy so much about teaching here is just the willingness of other faculty members to pitch in and help um, in any way they can. Um, you know, the other way that you know senior math is kind of difficult is <laughs> any any of the math courses. I remember Peter DeLuca telling me this story. Um, one year he was teaching the sophomore mathematics, and he had Peter Orlowski in his uh, section, and uh, he said, you know, um, when you teach mathematics you know, the students can be really good at it, and they can see some things faster than you can. And um, he says, this is where you can see that there's them and there's us. <laughs> 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 and and um, 
that's the kind of experience you have when you teach separate division math. There's some students in there that um, have had a lot of mathematics. They've had, in some cases, more calculus than what we have in the program. So they are um, really quick at it, and they can, in some times, just see it better than you do, um, see it faster than you do. So it is kind of challenging, and you just have to, you really do just have to be humble. And, you know, the other thing you can do is just let them teach the other students. <laughs> <laughs> I remember um, when I taught uh, sophomore mathematics, I had Joe Levine in my section. And um, there wasn't that much difference in age between Joe Levine and I when I taught that class. <laughs> and um, I remember Joe Sladke's brother sat in on that class. He was visiting the school. And um, after the, the cla you know, class was over, that, that evening he went to, to the dorm and he noticed Joe Levine was in the dorm. And he, he didn't understand it because he thought Joe Levine was the tutor. <laughs> <laughs> so. And when he found out he wasn't the tutor, he goes, well, what does he think? He's Einstein or something? Yeah. But I would have to say that um, I guess, I guess uh, one of the reasons I wanted to say something about how I felt about being a teacher before I actually came here is just one of the benefits of this program or one of the things this program does to you because teaching is not something I would have ever thought about doing before I came here. Um, when you find out what you can learn, what the life of learning is like, uh, and what it, uh, it's like to live in a community of people that are really searching for the truth, that are virtuous, um, it's hard to imagine anything better um, than what we do. Um, so it really changed my life. Um, and I'm, I have never regretted the decision I made to teach here, and it's been one of the, the joys of my life. And the 31 years I've been here has gone by very quickly. Um, I, I guess I want to end by saying something ab more about what makes it so pleasant to teach here, and that's the students that we have. Um, I remember when we were students, um, Dr. MacArthur was pretty open about this. I mean, he was just grateful that we came. I mean, he, t he, t he told us that, you know, when they put out the ads, that, you know, when they opened up the school, um, they just didn't know, didn't know if anybody would come. And we did come. And they were, the tutors were pleasantly surprised by our willingness to do the work, our love of the truth, um, and our perseverance in doing the studies and working hard. And I can remember Dr. MacArthur just being so excited about how good we were at certain things. I mean, he, I had him in the freshman year for Euclid and for philosophy. And um, I remember um, numerous times that we would get through some difficult propositions and just ace them. And he would just be just really happy about how we well we did those propositions. He'd come out and talk to us after class and say, "Just wait till we get to Newton." You know, he was just he was convinced that we're going to be able to do this stuff. We're going to be able to do Newton and Galileo, and he was really excited about it. And so there was a genuine sense of gratitude that we were there and we were willing to do this thing. And um, I don't think the tutors here should ever lose a sense of that. You know. I guess the first few classes, you know, were their pioneer classes in the sense that we didn't know if the school was going to be there the next year. Uh, we didn't know for sure whether <laughs> there was going to be a school that could actually graduate us. So um, the students that come here now might not have that concern, 
but it seems to me the, the goodness of will um, that, that they have, the disposition to learn, to study the truth, and to work hard, and to delight in what they learn, um, is something that um, you can't count on, and it seems to me it's a real grace and a blessing. And I know you as parents are responsible for that, um, and all other parents who send their students here. Um, we have a culture that we live in now that seems to me, uh, for the most part, doesn't produce people like that. And it wouldn't be worth teaching here if we didn't have students like that. So I thank you all for all the hard work that you do to, and the sacrifices you make to prepare your children uh, for this education and to send them here uh, with the financial burdens that I know it is. Um, I know myself when I came here that I realized that what I was coming to, to receive here wasn't something that was just for myself that I, I, I could saw it was something that was going to be good for me, but it was going to be good for the church and good for the country. And I think the students that we get now have that same sense. And without students like that, uh, we'd be wasting our time. So thank you very much. Thanks. <coughs>